Hello and welcome to episode 8 of People Behind Politics. My name is James Mathewson and today I'm joined by Rhiannon Melia-Smith. I'm going to be talking to Rhiannon about her time working for the member of the Shadow Cabinet and prominent Labour MP, Emily Thornbury. I'm going to be talking about her experience as a woman from the North West working in Parliament and how that's been for her. Rhiannon now works for the British Council and I'm really excited to get into this conversation to learn more about her experience and her time working in Westminster. I make sure to follow the podcast so that you don't miss any episodes in the future and do follow us on all of our relevant social media platforms. Thank you for listening. Rhiannon Melia-Smith, welcome to People Behind Politics podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to have you. Um, I've just been chatting there in, in your introduction about a little bit about the work that you do now. We've joined the British Council since leaving Parliament. Um, we've been talking a little bit before we started recording about what that's been like for you. Um, but I just wanted to, just to start off, if you could give our listeners a general idea of your background and how you got involved in politics. Yeah, so um, I definitely come from a very staunch Labour Party background in terms of my own sort of career <laughs> development. Um, so I I started out kind of getting interested in politics when I was about 11 years old. Because um, wow. I'd, I'd grown up so much around kind of my dad having Iraq war coverage on the TV as a kid. Um, yeah. And then when it, when it came around to kind of I had a very keen teacher at school who was really interested in politics and she used to talk about politics a lot in some of our lessons and I definitely started engaging around then and then when I was a slightly older teenager who sort of wore Doc Martens and tried to get get to go to Manchester every weekend to buy <laughs> CDs um, I started kind of nipping into Piccadilly Gardens and going to some of the anti-austerity stuff there um, and that was around the time of some of the really big marches so I really got into politics through that route, kind of the protest route. Um, and then at the age of 16, I think in May 2015, I joined the Labour Party um, and then went to Cambridge University and studied politics and then went on to um, do a little bit of work for Daniel Zeichner, MP, who's the MP in Cambridge. And after university, I went to work for Emily Thornbury, who I worked for for two and a half years. And now I work at the British Council. Excellent. God, yeah, it's been, it's been a bit of a roller coaster then for you <laughs> since first getting involved. Did you ever think when you went along to to those rallies and you know when you were like fourteen and you were getting involved in anti austerity protests and that kind of thing? Did you ever think that politics was a, a kind of career route for you, an option, an option for work? I think, funnily enough, when I was younger, I really wanted to be a French teacher. Um, so uh, that was always kind of something that I was interested in but I think that what happens with a lot of um, young women when they're at high school is that if you're a bit outspoken and you're maybe a bit interested in current affairs people always ask you like oh do you want to be an MP one day is that what you're going for (laughs) Um, or you know I think three or four times throughout my time at school I won pieces of paper that said most likely to be prime minister and I'm not saying that out of any kind of genuine yeah yeah. Um, it's more just that I I think I found that with like other women in different year groups at my school found that that was something that 
was sort of raised with them as well. So I think that, um, yeah, it's interesting. It was never really discussed as like a career path. But when you're interested in politics as a young person, you're very much seen as being kind of careerist and, and with a lot of ambition. So there was a bit of a disconnect there because it's like people are saying, oh, you know, you could be prime minister one day, but there's no steps in between that. It's not entirely obvious. Yeah. So I don't think I did have a, have a strong sense of, of what a career in politics could look like. Yeah, you don't just say, all right, okay, yeah, that sounds good. What do I sign? Do you know, yeah. <laughs> where do, do I become prime minister? You know, I'll have a go at it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But you, you've got that experience growing up in the, in the Northwest as well. And I mean, how how pivotal do you, I mean, culturally, do you view yourself as being Northern? Is that, how has that kind of influenced your your politics? I mean, I know myself being from the Northeast and, and many other people who I know who've worked in politics who've come from the North have retained that as a, you know, a sense of, a huge sense of pride. Is that, has yeah. that been similar for you? Yeah, definitely. I think so. I mean, when I go home, I get rinsed for sounding Southern. And when I'm in the South, <laughs> I get rinsed for sounding Northern. So you kind of, you can't win. You can't win, um, no. But yeah, definitely. I think at work, I've been called a professional Northerner before. So I think I've definitely taken up that mantle. Um but yeah, in terms of informing um, politics, I think at the age of like 14, 15, I didn't really understand the kind of nuances of like the North-South divide. And, you know, we were protesting in Manchester, like against Tory party conference and things like that. And I understood mm. that as kind of a bit of an us be them thing. Um, but I didn't, I'd never been to London until I went to, Cambridge really I think I'd been once for an anti-austerity march again um but yeah I, I didn't know the differences between the north and the south so I don't think it really influenced my political thinking until I sort of got to university and encountered all sorts of different people who had had really different backgrounds and then people who'd had much better backgrounds people who'd had you know much more hardship than I'd had so that was like quite um tricky to navigate all of that at once that's yeah. It is quite a unique situation when you arrive in the south, whether it be for work, whether it be for you know whatever it is you get involved in the first time. For a lot of people, university or you know higher education, and you realise that actually there are southerners who aren't very wealthy, and southerners who you know aren't aristocrats, and southerners who aren't you know as as a lot of the time it's perceived to be. Because I grew up hearing my granda talk about southerners, you know, being like yeah, all of them lived in gold-plated mansions and you know that's that was my view of the south when you realize that actually and especially with london you know we talk about the the london you know the divide between london and the rest of the country obviously um is staggering and huge parts of london you know, there's a lot of wealth however there's a lot of deprivation as well that you don't talk about a lot of the time yeah is that something that you kind of kind of took you by surprise a bit oh definitely um and i think yeah, I mean, having worked for, for Emily, especially in Islington South and Finsbury, that's one of the most, if not the most, yeah. kind of starkly unequal constituencies in the whole of the whole of the UK, because, you know, there is a lot of wealth there, but there's a lot of poverty as well. And I think I really understand the frustration of some Londoners who who do really, you know, hate the, the North-South divide in the way that it's framed. Um, so I yeah. completely empathise with that. But also, um, I was even talking to my flatmate about this the other day. Um, it is very true the the opportunities that you get in the South compared to some areas of the North and other areas of the South 
Um, for example, I remember when I was about 16, I was offered a job, a weekend job at a hotel in a village just outside of where I lived. And I had to turn it down because the wage they wanted to pay me, I think, was about £4 an hour. And it would cost yeah. me £5 to get the bus there and back. The bus <laughs> ran, I think, once an hour and you had to pay in cash. So <laughs> um, that's exactly, just an, yeah. an example that kind of I was thinking about the other day. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's not it's not isolated to London. It's not isolated to the North. But I think there are a lot of differences that you do encounter. Yeah, and privilege works in different ways, isn't it, like that? I mean, I remember... I was first getting involved in the labour movement and, you know, people would often rank you on how many, you know, protests you'd been in or how many canvassing sessions you'd done or, you know, depending on who was in the party and what they viewed as, you know, your kind of, uh, your your stats, if you like, and, and how much work you put in the party. And I remember that he was saying, you know, oh, do you not grow up with, you know, do you not go uh, canvassing? I was like, well, no, I grew up in a Tory constituency. And they were like, well, do you not get involved in your local labour party? I was like, there is no local labour party. People vote Lib Dem. They're like, well, yeah, but there should be a local <laughs> There is no local labor party for me to get involved in, you know. I don't, I don't have that on my doorstep, or I don't have it readily available. And similar, you know, jobs again. With, same with you. I, mean, I remember my first job wasn't even on the bus route. So if it wasn't for my mum who um, drove me to my new job, it was probably probably wasn't even financially worth it, given the fuel cost. Yeah. She was probably just doing it to get me out of the house and have a bit of peace and quiet. But <laughs> she would drop me off at at this hotel and I would work in the restaurant there um, a couple of evenings a week. And like, if it wasn't for her drive, if she didn't drive, I wouldn't have been able to do that. So yeah, there's, there's all sorts of different, I think it does open your eyes up, doesn't it? When you go south and you realize the challenges that people face are universal, but they're, they're different. They are different challenges and it doesn't make, you know, one worse than the other or, or one harder. It's just they're unique challenges regionally across the country yeah. um, in different places. Yeah, definitely. I remember actually as a bit of an aside, um, when we came to do our work experience in school, um, we were supposed to kind of try and do them in Macclesfield, which is where I'm from. Um, you know, it's nearer the school, but I just, there were no political opportunities there. I think I emailed yeah. the MP, who's David Rutley. I think I used to email him quite a lot, to be honest. So I was probably on some kind of blacklist. Um, <laughs> I didn't get any response. And, you know, I was like, oh, I'm being the bigger person. I'm willing to work for a Tory MP. Um, but yeah. yeah, no response. So I ended up actually doing a week interning at the Unite the Union offices on Salford Quays, which oh, nice. was a sort of 20-minute train into Manchester and then a half-hour tram journey to Salford Quays, which cost me... A you know a fair bit every day and that was unpaid oh. work but bless them at the end of that they they did a whip round in the office and raised enough money to have covered my travel <laughs> costs for that week um oh, yeah I was so determined to do something political I I you know ended up traveling so far just to do that really yeah find to find those opportunities exactly and and is that something that because I know that you've always had a, a keen interest in foreign affairs and you know I think as you put it a long-standing interest in foreign affairs and obviously working for Emily Thornbury it's you know that's a kind of dream come true in that in that position but is foreign affairs something that you came across at university is it something that have you always just I mean I'm guessing he, like you said you hearing your dad watch the coverage of the Iraq war um was it just kind of things like that current affairs that you picked up on that made you look abroad as well other issues around the world 
Yeah, I think so. And I think also language learning at school was was a big part of that as well. So I did French A-level right up until the end of school. And a lot of that in the final year was talking about French politics, which I found really, really interesting. Um, And I also, I think in my A-level history, the sort of main paper that I did in my final year of A-level was on international relations. And I just found it so interesting. It was specifically about the Cold War. And I had to learn all of these bizarre details about all of these various conferences that Reagan had had in the 80s, Um, (laughs) periods of Dayton and who spoke to who and what they might have said. And it was also, you know, about people and about their interactions with each other. And it's almost like a, I always think of international relations as like the practical application of politics. I don't know if yeah. that makes any sense, but it's sort of no, totally. so interpersonal. And because it's so sort of high level, you really see the nuances of all these sort of smaller things um, play out, especially in things like diplomacy. So I found that really, really interesting in terms of sort of social uh, view of politics as well. So not just about the international aspect of it, but also, you know, how how it works in terms of people's conversations with each other. Absolutely. I can't remember what stage I was at in life when I transitioned from thinking that people on the, you know, international political stage, some of these figures, these grey haired men, oh God, some of them are so boring, like we're boring life, they're just incredibly boring, they go around the world and bore other people. And that's basically it. To then actually having, you know, taken an interest in this and kind of unraveling um the world of kind of international relations and understand people like I mean I grew have huge respect for people like John Kerry, you know, been on like the the world stage for so many years and like had, you know, commanded respect with, with people in other countries. Um, you know, were like Hillary Clinton, you know, for, for many years, like going on Secretary of State and building those relationships abroad. Um that takes a huge amount of doing when you've got, you know, cultural sensitivities to abide by and you realise just how big the world is. Um yeah. that, you know, everyone has their own political um i think there's this often quite um arrogant way in america and in britain especially it's probably the same in every country but you view your own country's politics as like that's that's everything that's happening everybody's watching that and everyone's looking at that whereas every country's got its own (laughs) exactly the same situation it's complex politics some more complex than others and trying to understand all of that and then build those relationships um, to you know, to have positive connections with the rest of the world, it is quite a fascinating thing. Yeah, and I think definitely at university, being at university, you know, I started in twenty sixteen, which was of course, you know, the time of the Trump election. Yes, um, I remember I was writing a uh, an essay on foreign policy. I can't remember what about, um, and trying to follow the election coverage at the same time. And then oh handing in this sort of terrible essay the next day to my <laughs> politics professor, who also happened to be Californian, and both just looked oh. at each other like in with this really weary kind of <laughs> nothing matters anymore look. Um, oh yeah, I think that really it sounds cliche, and I think it was really hard for my politics department to try and. They, they definitely tried to steer us away from kind of making everything about Trump or about Brexit 
I remember yeah. one of one of our first lectures. Um, it was David Runciman, who I think he still does this podcast called Talking Politics, and he writes for oh, yeah. sometimes. But he kind of sat us all down and was like, "Be really careful with your Trump and Brexit comparisons. We're not here to kind of just keep saying that everything is about Trump and Brexit." But what I did actually yeah. find doing international relations was that a lot of the driving theories of international relations is that you know, states are sort of rational actors that are purely about expanding their own power. But when you take that to its sort of logical end, you're assuming that A, you can kind of neatly define what a state is, you know, is is a global corporation a state? You know, mm. is, a, is a sociological group of people, can that be a state? Um, and then you have, you know, actors like Trump, like does Trump represent the state of America is he a rational actor so a lot of those questions were really really interesting and it was such an interesting time to try and of kind of try and unpack unpack those questions as well so yeah I think I was quite obviously not lucky but it was a good <laughs> coincidence that I was at university at that time it just made it yeah. a lot easier to kind of throw huge ideas into the air and see what you could do with them yeah, it made everything, it, it put everything in context a bit as well, didn't it? Because you had, you know, such extremes and fascinating reactions like on the world stage to Trump. There was almost this acknowledgement quietly and it has come to fruition, but it might not have. But this kind of acceptance of, you know, quiet you know, kind of conversations and hushed corners of, you know, don't worry, we'll be here forever. You know, it'll just be, <laughs> it'll just be what to, you know, we'll just get through this, just, you know, Let's let's retain the relationship with America. Let's extend the same offers, and we just need to, you know, kind of ignore his is um is more unique, <laughs> to put it politely, um is more unique kind of um aspects and features that you wouldn't hear from other presidents and and whatever. But it was a very strange time, and I think that you know you write in your essay at the same time. I think it will become a bit of our generation or, you know, several generations JFK moment, isn't it? Because people do remember where they were. Same with the Brexit vote. I mean, I remember yeah. being, the Brexit vote, obviously I was I was involved with because I've been campaigning for Remain. So I remember being, um, yeah, I remember that night very well. And then the Trump one, I remember when, when it was announced that he had won it, um, I was I was in a McDonald's at like, was it probably like four o'clock, five o'clock in the morning, <laughs> something like that, yeah. Was in a McDonald's with a with a friend of mine, and the guy behind the counter was just like, "Have you did did you see it? Have you heard the result?" And I had the TV on the back, and they were just absolutely gobsmacked. But I remember thinking at the time, you know, like in any other international general election anywhere else in in the world except in this country, would you have people working night shift at McDonald's watching it on the TV? Yeah, you know, because yeah. they they were fascinated by it. Um, so. You know, I try and find try and find a silver line into every cloud, but um, it certainly was an engaging time in politics. I think, if nothing else, yeah, definitely, <laughs> um, definitely a good time to be studying the art of um international relations and politics. But after that, you've you've kind of ended up going into into parliament and getting involved, like you said, with Daniel Zeigner at first. Um, you did did. A bit of interning for um Alex Mayer, the M MEP, is that right, in Brussels? Yeah, I did. Um, yeah, that was uh, just for a, a really short period of time, really. I'm in my third year of university. I was very lucky to have, you know, met through 
university and through the local Labour Party, some people who worked in her yeah. office. Um, so that was that was really good and really interesting, like such a turbulent period of time as well, because I think that was... I was going to say, was that post-Brexit? Was that post kind of the Brexit yeah. vote? It was, it was before... Oh, I couldn't tell you, but it was it was definitely around the time when it was there was a lot of uncertainty. I remember people saying, "Oh, we might be here until next June, or we might be here for kind of a month longer." That was in December twenty eighteen. So, um, yeah, that was really interesting. But I also thought what I found kind of most interesting, bizarrely, about that experience was how vastly different people who work in politics in Europe are to in the UK so um, a lot of the Labour MEPs hired staffers who all of them had like master's degrees and not all of them were very party political at all so it was seen as more of like a civil service type job and it was a very high level senior you know very well regarded job whereas in the UK I think a lot of MPs they tend to hire people who are sort of party political and you don't have to have a master's and it's not yeah. seen as a civil service type thing. So I found that really interesting. Yeah, that'll be, that must be a huge stark difference because you're going to have that kind of just a different way of treating. I mean, I've, I know I've had friends who worked in the EU parliament and for MEPs from the Northeast, um, Labour ones when we had them, but you, you do have that, there is a sense of doing things differently over there, isn't there? There's a sense of, I don't know, everything feels a bit more polished and professional, um, which is strange considering what people people's concept, uh, kind of idea of what Westminster's like. Um, but I guess the, the majority, like you say, the majority of our staffers, the majority of people get involved because they've been active politically themselves or they've you know, come into uh, contact with MPs through being politically active. Um, even yourself included, I guess. Although you've got that academic side to the study of it, you've also got your obviously your your own political activity. And do you think without your own political activity, you would have kind of ended up in Parliament, or was it kind of a mix of of both having the academic side to it and being a little bit polit- politically active at the time as well? I mean, I definitely think that it was all of the Labour Party campaigning that I did at university that got me into parliament um I applied for a lot of jobs when I left university um and yeah I mean of all of the jobs that I applied for I really thought the one with Emily was sort of the one that I was least likely to get accepted onto but thankfully that wasn't the case um but yeah and I think my approach to politics has always been really rooted in personal experiences and at different points in time I've had to grapple with you know how how much should those experience influence the way I'm conducting politics um Mm. how important are these experiences how relevant you know where where should I be you know listening to someone else over myself and things like that so um that's definitely shaped a lot of my approach to politics and I think parliament was a really really good place for me in the really early years of of my career to kind of you know opposition's a very campaigning role there's a lot of small p politics there there's a lot of you know tribalism so to speak um Mm -hmm. i think that 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 was really the sort of best place for me to be and now i've kind of got that out of my system (laughs) i'm doing a job (laughs) which is much more um 
diplomatic, um, you know, I'm working with people from from all different parties. And, you know, we did that in, in um, Emily's office as well, you know, regularly. Um, yeah. You know, I think anyone who's worked for an MP knows that you have to work cross party. Um, but yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, slightly less apolitical this role now. Yeah, something people don't appreciate goes on, really, I think, when you work for, especially when, uh, you know, you're an outspoken Labour MP or, you know, a, a prominent figure in the party, you often don't realise that, you know, the, the central role of a Member of Parliament requires cross-party work, you know, if you want to get anything done, especially when you're in opposition. Um, and I think I learned a lot of my compromise and a lot of my, you know, being kind of the radical person that I was when I went into it coming out the other end i wouldn't say that i've softened my politics but i would say that my ability to compromise has then opened up other opportunities you know in public affairs and communications work because now i understand that not only the need for it but how important it is you know to to compromise and to work cross party yeah definitely i think it can be quite hard as well when when you have friends who work outside of politics but share the Mm. same passions as you or the same politics because you kind of see how the sausage gets made so to speak um yeah and there's been times where I've kind of mentioned uh, a relationship I've got or a friend that you know working with someone from another party or um an MP that maybe is slightly less well regarded by certain factions of the Labour Party um, <laughs> yeah. you know you get a bit of an eye roll at a party or whatever um yeah but yeah I think definitely I've become much more what was the word you used? Um, as a compromise, but do you think tolerant? Do you think it's tolerance as well? That yeah, kind of... tolerant. Um, tolerant to an extent, but understanding and kind of cooperative, yeah. I'd say. And I guess when you start having conversations, this is the, this is the thing that Parliament does, and because in a way, I remember having a conversation with a mate of mine who's still a well, I think he's basically a communist, but um, we kind of started at the same place politically at school, and he, I remember him saying, to me he was like. Parliament's changed you, you know, <laughs> you've been changed, you've been, you know, you've been taken the establishment, you've been converted into yeah. this way of thinking. I'm, I'm like, I can understand how that looks like that from the outset, but actually, I think all it is, is when you start talk, when you have to talk to Tories, and you haven't moved in social circles with people who are conservative, or you haven't, because, you know, you don't, because you tend to mix with people who agree with you that's that's life normally but yeah. when you've when you've had to sit down with conservatives you realize actually john is not not i can't say all of these people are inherently evil because they're not um and and that's quite an unpopular thing to say but you know they're not inherently evil i've sat with them i've talked to them a lot of them believe what they're doing is the right thing and they're doing it for the right reasons um i think they're wrong but i think that they're you know they're doing it for the right reason and as soon as you start saying things like that, people, oh, right, okay, well, you know, you've you, you've lost a bit of your politics or you're not as left as you used to be or whatever. And actually, I always said that I don't think my politics have changed. I just think my approach to it's changed. Yeah, no, I'd completely agree. Um, and it's that challenge with people who are outside of the bubble who, you know, who struggle to see it. Um, because it is until, you, until you're in there and you see some of you, I mean, I remember thinking... Some of my my favorite left wing idols, you know, who when I joined the party and, and I eventually you know got to work with them in Parliament, and then seeing them having meetings with Tory ministers, you know, about schools closing in their constituency or or whatever, and then you're thinking, oh my god, like you're having a 
you know, sit down with them, you know, um, until actually you realise that's how the, that's how the sausage gets made, so to speak, yeah. as you said. But also, I think it's been, you know, it's also important to to not just have a sort of bunker mentality to the bubble, but also keep a hand in, you know, what do yeah. people who share my politics think about a policy that's going through Parliament or, you know, the way the party's messaging is on something? Because, you know, we're getting sort of the internal briefings and, yeah. the you know, the briefings from the whips as to why why the vote has to be this way, why the, this messaging is this way. But when you speak to people who are outside of that, if they are telling you, you know, this looks really bad or this messaging isn't working, sometimes it is good to, to hear that as well, to kind of keep a hand in the real world. Absolutely. Otherwise you can get consumed by it, thinking, oh, well, people just don't know. They don't understand the policy in great detail. They don't. And actually, sometimes things just... If it's not, one thing I've, I learned from uh, 2017 to 2019 was if it's not, regardless of whether you think it's the right thing or not, if it's not going down well with the public, it's not going down well with the public. Um, and that's that's the reality. And that, that's quite a hard thing to come to terms with when you're in it and you believe in what you're doing and you, you know, you're passionate about it. But yeah, keeping a hand in with the real world is definitely something that's um, a key piece of advice for anyone who's going in into Westminster or into into politics in general, probably, I should think. Yeah, definitely. Um, Parliament itself and your kind of uh, arrival there working for Emily. Is Emily, Emily was the first person you worked for in Parliament, is that right? Yeah, I'd been into Parliament a couple of times when I'd worked on and off for Daniel, but in terms of, yeah. you know, first time having the green pass and being able to do all the fun Parliament things, yeah, that was, that was fair. Yeah. Enough. What was what was your first impression of of working in Parliament? You know, having come from the northwest, and was he'd been at Cambridge, um, but you know, what was your impression of Parliament as a as an institution? Yeah, I mean, it's it's so massive, and I think you know, I spent two and a half years there, and I still don't think I got fully to grips with with everything <laughs> and how everything works, and you know, who all the who all the key people are. I think that you learn something new every single day um, and it's such a vast place you know thousands of people I think work there um, so yeah I definitely found that quite overwhelming I think the culture shock side of things bizarrely um, I think that having been to Cambridge did really prepare me for working in parliament um, in terms of my own sort of personal response to things you know, I was used to being around a lot of people from a certain background. I was used to, you know, old buildings and bizarre rules and <laughs> yeah. funny clothes and things like that. And, you know, I always said to people who didn't work in Parliament, like how similar, you know, Cambridge and Parliament were. And I found it really icky in a way. I completely yeah. can see how someone would go to sort of Eton, Oxbridge and then work in Parliament and just think that that is exactly how life is because yeah. I just found it so easy to adapt to Parliament. I know, I just remember thinking, I think I, I went for lunch in one of my first weeks with a, fr- a friend and we went to the Terrace Cafe, the Terrace Cafeteria, which is like the one next to the river and it's in this one-panelled yeah. room 
and you're eating like curly fries off a plastic tray (laughs) in a wood panelled room with loads of people and I was like this is exactly how it was being at Cambridge but these people are making the law and it's just yeah it's a very similar environment and I was also very used to kind of you know having done a lot of the Labour Club stuff and various student politics things I was used to being around you know men in politics and the sort of gender (laughs) dynamics there I was used to being kind of sometimes the only like person that's not from the south in a room so I found all of that quite easy to adapt to um but yeah definitely I found a lot of the sort of issues very similar and Cambridge in 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 your experience coming down from the northwest and you know being a woman as well from the northwest was was there anything in particular in your experience there that kind of you know shocked you that you were you expecting it to be worse than it was or kind of what were you kind of thinking when you you obviously you got your offer for Cambridge you thought wow this is an incredible achievement was there anything in particular that you know made you nervous or that you know or didn't play out quite how you thought it would yeah I think my approach definitely changed throughout my time being at university and I was actually talking about this I was giving a a talk at my old school about um, Oxbridge applications and someone asked me you know was there a big culture shock when you went to Cambridge because I'm really expecting that and I was thinking about it and I was like well in my first year I definitely kind of I think I was perceived by a lot of people rightly or wrongly as being sort of like an angry poor woman like very you know, vocal on Labour Party stuff. I was the one putting all the Labour mm-hmm. Party leaflets in their pigeonholes and winding them all up and talking about class and things like that. And I was so angry. Um, and I think kind of through time, you know, I met people who actually went to, you know, not, not as good a school as I'd gone to or, you know, things like that. And you kind of realise that you're not actually that hard done by. <laughs> Um, I kind of you know calmed down quite a lot um, I think by the time I left university so I can't yeah I said to the kids that I was talking to the other week like you know don't think that everything that you encounter is about you and it's not something for you to kind of rage against it is you know mad Um, (laughs) but do kind of have to roll with it and you'll find your own people and you know people who are similar to you and there are a lot of great people at that university doing a lot of really good political work and you know just getting on with stuff as well and I think yeah I spent a lot of time being angry and then kind of you know simmered down a little bit <laughs> yeah that's, that's an age thing as well though isn't it you know I remember being, I mean even though I wasn't at university at the same time in my life as you would have been there I was working in, um, I was, well, I was selling, I was supposed to be selling cars. I was useless at selling cars. So I was, I was going to be selling cars and I was in a car park, up, various jobs like that. And I, that's when I started reading, you know, I started reading and absorbing politics through like books and things I'd pick up at the library or books I'd buy on Amazon. And like, I got really angry. That was my first, you know, that was my first kind of foreign politics was through anger, you know, the injustice <laughs> of the world and, there are many, many injustices of the world you can get very, very angry at. Yeah. Um, and the more you read about them, the more angry you get. So I can totally sympathise with that that anger. But then when you come into contact with people 
you know, and, and you're, you're expecting that challenge or you're expecting that adversarial, you know, I'm here to, to, you know, to knock you out of here and this is, I'm here to take my rightful place here as well and stand up for the community I come from. And then you realise actually people aren't thinking like that at all. They're not, that's not the, their first thought. And you think actually maybe this is, maybe this is in part me and, and my approach to it. Yeah. So I can totally sympathise with that. Well, there's also, I mean, I think I just got to the point where I was like, it's not worth engaging. There was one particular night I went to the Cambridge Union, which I stopped oh, yeah. going to after first year, if I'm honest, because the whole point of it is to kind of inflame debate. And it's all about free speech. But I think sometimes the people they invited were kind of particularly there to stoke an argument so like controversial than, figures and things yeah so there was one particular night that I went and I knew that someone who was I won't name them but someone who was in one of the debates was a, a journalist who'd said something about how you know Oxbridge isn't good anymore because it's full of state school kids that can't keep up um you know so I, I went along to that debate and I stood up with my plastic cup of wine and I got the microphone <laughs> And I started saying, you know, do you think that I don't deserve to be here? Am I not clever enough? You don't think that I deserve to be here? And, you know, he was all posh and da da da. Of course, of course, I don't think that and all this. And then afterwards, I kind of I went up to him and I, I thought, this is what I'll do. I'll shake his hand because it's a very kind of cage uh-huh. thing to do. Like, oh, good debate. And I went to shake yeah. his hand and he shook my hand and I looked him in the eye and I said, do you genuinely stand by what you said? You know, I'm, I'm 18 years old. I've worked really hard to be here. And you, and you think that I'm actually like less intelligent. And he just yeah. looks at me and said, yeah. <laughs> and I thought, yeah. yeah, I won't bother. I won't bother arguing yeah. with these people anymore. <laughs> yeah. That's, it's, it's a good point. Cause I, how are you going to change his mind? Exactly. You know, you don't. And do you do you need to change his mind? No, there's thousands and millions of people out there whose minds you can change, and and who matter at the end of the day when it comes to an election or it comes to, um, and but you can get yourself so hung up on those individuals because you know they and and I think half the time you know these figures especially. There's a few names going around in my head as to who I think that would be. Um, and they're probably all much of a muchness, but you know, those kind of figures are there to outrage and to cause that that anger, aren't they? You know, they they like to do that. They've made a career from it, a lot of them. Mm. Um, and been very successful at winding people up. Um, and you just think it's not worth the the energy, <laughs> although it's not worth being annoyed because it takes up too much time. Yeah. But um, yeah, that well, that's that's the kind of that's the the clash that I've, you know I would imagine you know from Cambridge that you, that you would experience that you know it, it is a different world but you know you're gonna find your people eventually in there. Um, I went to I remember I only went to I've only ever been to Oxford once, um, and I've been to a couple of universities visits and you know whatever. But Oxford w- was particularly interesting because we went out from Parliament one night when I was working for. Um, for the MP who I worked for at the time, who'd been invited to speak to the Labour Society at Oxford, mm-hmm. and we went out and um, you know, the, Oxford's like a, it's like a nice, nice town, town city. I, don't, I think it's a city. I'm not yeah, sure. It's um, it, it it feels quite towny. Do you know what I mean? In the yeah. middle of it, um, <laughs> when we got off the train station and there's people on bikes and you know it felt nice and and the rivers there. Walked up to the to the um 
to the university. Very old, very old building, and you know feels very atmospheric. And we met with the the uh, the Labour Society and spoke to them. And then afterwards, one thing that struck me that I'd been to other universities and I'd spoken, I'd, I'd spoken myself at other universities about what it's like to work for an MP and work in Parliament. And I'd never had this happen before. But at the end of the session, there was about eight or nine out of the 20 odd stayed back and and they were kind of lurking around the corridor outside as i came out um one by one they, they kind of came up to me and there was about probably out of the the seven or eight there was about four or five girls and then the rest were guys and mm. they were like can i can i get can i take you for a drink can i can i buy you some dinner can i i was like what, what is this weird like <laughs> invitation to like socialize it was Really, really strange, and um, but they were like pushy with it. A lot of them, yeah. And then this this last came up to us, um, and she was like, "Oh, I, I come from Bradford originally," and I was like, "Oh, awesome, yeah, great." And I was talking to her, and she was like, um, oh, "I hate to ask, but like, do you want to go for dinner?" And I was like, "Can I just ask why you're asking that? Like, it's weird that you do you know what I mean? Like, it's it's I've never heard it before." And she was like, "Oh, I don't want to ask, but like, we've been encouraged." By like our lecturers and our tutors, to when we speak to a political figure, to like ask them if we can spend some time socially to to get to know them and try and network. That's so interesting. Yeah, I definitely. I don't, and I was just weird. I don't think that I was ever told that at university, but I would say <laughs> it's probably something that I've learned. You know, working in Parliament. Yeah. I think you know that's pretty sound political advice, but. It is, it is. But I was thinking, you need to do it more subtly, guys. You can't just line up. You know, if all of you do it, it just looks a bit strange. Yeah, that's so interesting. <laughs> but that's that's it. I mean, with these kind of formalised educations, that's the formalised educating of these young people as to how to do politics. Yeah. And a lot of people don't get that. And, you know, I went to Cambridge I'm, you know, clearly not hard done by, but in that sense, I, I was never taught that up front, you know, and clearly some people are yeah. kind of taught that. Um, but yeah, when you get into into Parliament, you you quickly realise that the, the informal and the social side of things is really, really important in terms of networking, in terms of support, in terms of building relationships and collaborating. It's really, really important. And that's where confidence comes into it as well, isn't it? And, you know, that often private school confidence, as we call it, you know, a lot of people who've been to private school have that more, you know, they're, they're taught to have confidence in their own, you know, promotion exactly. really. And, you know, don't be afraid to go up to someone and say, look, can I have that? And that's an opportunity. That, and I remember speaking to somebody who said to me, um, oh, actually, you know, I think more people from working class backgrounds would go to, university if they started looking at prospectuses from a young age and I had a bit of an argument with her and and in the end she said she admitted she said well my teachers were telling me to look at university prospectuses when I was in year nine oh I was like were you at private school by any chance and she was like yeah was like, well there you go I said you know what I was doing year nine I was getting kicked out of French you know and and, and my, my teacher could hardly control the class because everyone it's just like because it was just it was chaos and like they had other things to deal with other than you know trying to get us into university in exactly. <laughs> year nine so the, but she didn't acknowledge that and in the end to be fair you know she was like yeah actually that's a like, but she didn't acknowledge that was different in any way to anybody else's experience 
Um, but you wouldn't unless you you come across somebody who's had a, a, a different experience. Um, but I guess go, going into that foreign um, foreign affairs side of things and working for Emily Thornbury, what what was that like working for Emily? Did that you know um, the things, the experiences he must have got to have, and did he did he get to travel with Emily? very often yeah so frustratingly um i think you know frustratingly friendly as well is that there was this global pandemic <laughs> where yeah. yeah no one could go abroad for anything so i i think i remember i can't remember if it was just before the general election or just before lockdown we had arranged for her to go somewhere and it had to get cancelled because of either the general election yeah. or lockdown and that was my entire run of working for emily you know I think I started in September 2019 and in her first week, in my first week working for her, we had, um, I think it was like one of the meaningful votes, there was foreign foreign office oral okay. questions, she went on question time and then we had conference a couple of weeks after that and then a couple of weeks after conference we had the general election and then when we got back from the general election we did a leadership contest and then I went up to Macclesfield and quarantined at my parents house for three months um so yeah it was always kind of a run of responding to events but yeah I had just the best time like it's just such an incredible team and I think speaking to other people who've worked for for MPs I think the opportunities that you get working for a front bench are just like second to none um yeah and Emily's always very generous with her time and you know advice and kind of opportunities and things like that so that was really good as an as a first job it was just incredible um but yeah I got to actually did get to travel with her a lot but in the UK so I'm one of those people that's like not that well traveled but I've been yeah. to you know small village in Cornwall like tiny village hall <laughs> or I've been to you know random car park in Altrincham or somewhere you know did a lot of those kind of campaigning type uh visits they're great experiences they though aren't they because you you don't get that in like I mean I've got you know we've all got mates who, who've been you know I've been oh, like 20 countries or whatever and but a lot of the time people haven't been around Britain in in a great amount of detail or to places that are off the tourist track for example um and the politics does give you that opportunity to end up in some whether it's campaign or whatever in some strange places it's amazing i mean like there's there's honestly to me no greater thrill than getting off the train and it's raining and you're bungled into the back seat of a car of some poor organizer who's like absolutely rushed (laughs) off their feet and they drive you to like a cafe or a little village hall and you get sent out in the rain door knocking it was just like that was my life from like honestly november 2019 to you know about February 2020 um <laughs> and you've got the reaction of these like local campaigners and a lot of the time you know if you've got an organizer great but a lot of the time people are volunteers and you know you go from having these um these these members of parliament who rightly or wrongly are basically celebrities you know they're on tv a lot they're you know especially for the people in their own parties are, are icons and figures like Emily you know Emily's got a huge fan base in the party so you know people love to see it and then all of a sudden she's in the back of your car you know <laughs> you go out, you're driving her somewhere and you, then you're taking her door knocking and yeah. stuff and you know you have, you have to pick these people it's bizarre isn't that a crossover of worlds yeah. from you know the the halls of Westminster and you know 
you know, all the kind of media and TV appearances to then also just some rainy car park yeah. in Altrinum, you know? I mean, it's the beauty of British politics, really, isn't it? It's the separation yeah. of powers. Not the, Well, not the separation of powers. Is that, um, you know, it's like that picture of Theresa May pointing at a pothole while she was Prime Minister. I just love it. <laughs> you don't yeah. get that. Yeah, that... that, that <laughs> That exactly, it is removed. I remember Peter Cardwell, who came on, who'd been, you know, worked in the cabinet office and various other person worked for James Brokenshire, and he'd said, you know, one of the greatest things was you'd work for James and like, you know, uh, and you'd be working in number, you'd be going at number ten for meetings with the prime minister. You'd be in like all this very senior, high level stuff, and then at the weekend you'd be sitting in the village hall talking about sewage. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you've got like because that's the day job, yeah. isn't it? Um, yeah. and it is a unique system and I think I, I'm, I for one think it keeps them grounded for the most part not all of them but it keeps a lot of people Definitely. grounded and I think the travel was just brilliant and it was just great to go and visit you know random CLP in rural outer edges of Bristol and speak to someone who was deeply enthusiastic about how many times they'd knocked this one particular estate and just like really share that like passion with them was just amazing and like such a rewarding experience. And I think what I would say to anyone who, I think particularly Labour politics, but I'm sure a similar thing exists with any other party, is that you really have to meet like every single kind of person in that job. You know, you work yeah. with kind of, you know, people in Keir Starmer's office or you'll have meetings with shadow cabinet members and, you know, other staffers there's all people around the Westminster bubble but my favorite times were honestly with people who were just you know stuffing letters in the back in the back room at the constituency office or you know running boards in in a really unwinnable ward but where they just had that real drive to do it it's just amazing and like building all of those different connections I think is also really really respected by a lot of Labour politicians I always felt that that was something that was quite well regarded or something that I thought I could bring to a job was this knowledge of kind of the Labour Party um, and how it works and you know the personalities the people and how a CLP works and all of that and how to run a board it's really valuable knowledge and I think that is one of the sort of less formal sides of the political education that you get from working for an MP. Yeah absolutely and I was going to ask you uh, before we wrap up what you know what your one key piece of advice is and I still will ask you you know for for anyone considering a career in politics but I guess one of the things you've touched on there that that kind of brings us full circle if you like is that appreciation of of the of being an activist being an activist first and being having your kind of your roots in the activism of a party because I can remember talking to um I think it was at Newcastle University some um, politics students and one of them asked me um, a girl who was about uh, I think in her early 20s asked us um, which, par- which party should I join mm-hmm. if I want to work in politics and I said well what are you asking the wrong question like you need to you want to be joined a party because you believe in it you know that's first and foremost the idea she said no no but which one was more likely to get me a job in Westminster 
It's like, well, that's I, I honestly think you're looking at the wrong. <laughs> probably, probably at the time, I think I said something like, "Judging by your attitude, the conservatives." Uh-huh. Or something. <laughs> but like, you know, I think it was, you know, genuinely, you're going about it the wrong way. I think you get into it because you care about mm-hmm. it. Get into the activism, and you know, you will encounter people through that activism who you'll build your network with. Um, but do you think that is probably for anyone who's listening who's interested in, in you know, they have no experience at present, they're not involved in anything politically, but they've got a, a cause or a party to mm. care about. Do you think activism is the place for them to start? Definitely. And I think it's not... You definitely do need that sort of activist background, but I use the word activist quite loosely. You know, it can... I think... yeah. You don't have to be from the absolute weeds of any pol- particular political party. You don't have to know everything. You don't have to know everyone. But I think you should always, in your political work, there should be something that's driving you in that. And it shouldn't just be about your own professional development or you know getting the next best paid job or getting as close to the leader's office as possible. It should be, you know, at the end of the day the work that I'm doing, how is that kind of bettering society in the way that I think it should be bettered? And I think that that ultimately does just go back to why you're there in the first place. And for me, going off my experience, that was, you know, I saw problems in my life and in the kind of wider society that I thought, you know, these are things that should be improved and government could improve these things. Um, and that's how I started doing sort of the activism stuff and joining the Labour Party. And that's just continued to be my drive. So I would say to anyone who wants to get into politics, I think, yeah, just pursue your beliefs and what and sort of find your own drive and just follow that. Excellent. Yeah, I like it. I think that's a, a good rule for, for life in general yeah, as well. Definitely. Um, well, thank you, Rianne. Thanks for coming and talking to us. Um, and uh, yeah, wish you all the best for the future. Thank you. You've been listening to People Behind Politics. I've been your host, James Matthewson, and I'd like to thank our producer, Charlie Hornsby. Don't forget to subscribe so that you can access the latest weekly episodes as and when they're released. Thank you.